Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I'm Ira Creaseman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy VII. When last we left our heroes, we were headed toward, or we needed to go toward the Temple of the Ancients. But first, my dear brother, we need the Keystone. And the Keystone, we have heard, is at the Gold Saucer. So we must return to the city that never sleeps. Is it a city? I I think it has to be certainly like a very large building that is city-like. Like if you took a small yeah. town, right, you could probably fit all of it in, you know, insert giant building here. One of those right. buildings in uh, Dubai. Yeah, right. So no is so, the answer. It's not a city. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. The, the very large building that never sleeps doesn't quite have the same ring to it. I do want to note real quick that you can go to the Temple of the Ancients. Like it's a giant ziggurat in the middle of a, a forest. It's obvious on the world map, so you can go to it. But all that happens is you go up the stairs uh, and then you can't get in. And then Cloud does a thing where he turns and he looks at the camera and he shrugs. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't help but think, hey, Mystic Quest, that's Benjamin's move. Yeah, right? Also, strange for Cloud to randomly break the fourth wall. Maybe he's not actually looking into the camera. He just happens to be looking our direction, but it is, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> kind of a nod to those older games and the and the over-the-top animations they would do uh, with their sprites. So our heroes uh, make their way back to the Gold Saucer because we know that Dio, the owner of the Gold Saucer, has the Keystone. There's a museum you can go to where the Keystone is, and it's right there in the middle. So there's all these artifacts around the room, and you can read their descriptions. It actually reminded me of the museum in Final Fantasy VII Remake, Though not quite as, like, self-aggrandizing, fascistic propaganda. Sure. Right. I, in the remake, yeah, that museum is interesting, but, like, oh, this is not Deeply, deeply unsettling. Like, yeah. I had shivers the whole time. Museums as propaganda is just, ugh. Yes. Dio comes into the museum, he says, oh, you want my keystone? Well, I can let you have it, but only if you entertain me. Go to the battle arena! Which is pretty creepy owner of a city-state thing to do. Right. It's another time we're, we're hitting this trope. It's a few times in Final Fantasy that we've done this, but, it, you know, they're battle arenas. They obviously, again, kind of stuck a version of this into the remake because we weren't going to get to the battle arena in Gold Saucer. So they, they put one in Wall Market, and they put one in Shinra's Tower, actually. They were like, you get two battle arenas uh, that you have to kind of be forced to fight in. So you do that, even if you don't perform very well, he will give you the keystone because he is a capitalist of his word. And you're getting ready to leave, but you can't. The tram is out of order. All right, fine. Regular maintenance is important. So uh, you have to stay at the hotel, that weird, creepy, haunted house-themed hotel with an Iron Maiden in the bedroom for whatever reason. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay. Sure, why not? There's a small guillotine on the table, like just big enough for a human's wrist. People like to go to, like, ghost houses and stay there overnight though so like if that's what you're into fair enough so Kayat Sith calls a meeting and he's like Cloud I have no idea what's going on would you recap and Barrett's like I've been here since the beginning I have no <laughs> idea what the hell's going on either <laughs> I loved that line I really enjoyed that like I've been here since the beginning man just owing to the fact that it's been a pretty complex story to this point and giving an in-story reason for a quick recap from one of the characters to get the player, reader, story watcher up to speed. Right, right. And it's the second time they've done it. Right. So I I wonder, yeah, did they think that it was too complicated or just complicated enough that, as you say, it's good to have an in-story reason? So I'll go through the recap real quick. Cloud explains that Sephiroth is after the Promised Land. Shinra believes the Promised Land is full of Mako, and they want to abuse that. But we're not actually sure that it exists, and the Ketra uh, are supposed to return to the Promised Land ambiguously. You don't know where it is. You search and travel. Sephiroth uh, is searching for the Promised Land and the Black Materia. And then they sort of get into this side conversation of how many people with black capes and tattoos are there? And then Red's like, Hojo tattooed me with the number 13. 
will I also go mad? And I just got to point out that tattooing people against their will with numbers is a very Nazi thing to do, you creepy, gross, bad science man. Yes. So I do wonder, I mean, so Red has this moment where he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm number 13. Will I go crazy? And, and our heroes yeah. try to say, no, no, we, you know, we don't think so. Concerning the one right, who's... with no assurity whatsoever, because they can't be. But right. they're just like, we, we really hope not, and we're going to be there by your side, you know, the whole way, which is really nice. Because that would, how, speaking of unsettling, how ugh, unnerving would that be? Right, and he's not the one who's going to, you know, have, an, have a mental break. Right. That's also a nice little misdirection, a, a little red herring there for us to get it in our minds that one of our main party characters could be manipulated in this way. But as we'll soon find out, it's not Red 13. So Sephiroth is after Black Materia in the Promised Land. Shinra wants the Promised Land because they think they can strip mine it. The Ketra seem to think that the Promised Land had to do more with searching and traveling. That's our recap so far. So then we cut to a scene where Cloud is alone in his hotel room and somebody knocks on the door. Now I say somebody because it could be one of four people. Yeah, there's been lots of opportunities for interactions with party members that, you know, Cloud is basically the main character. When, When you're controlling only one character, it's usually Cloud. So certain things you do fill up a meter with certain characters. And depending on who's highest, you go on a date with that character. This is a system that also, in a way, returns in the remake, but though you don't get to this scene, it it plays out differently, but in a similar fashion where, depending on interactions you have with Aerith, Tifa, Jesse in the remake, different things will play out a little bit differently, and there's one particular moment where you'll get a scene with just one of those characters just like this. It's just, that takes place outside of... Aerith's house, as opposed to this, which takes place, as you said, as a date at the Gold Saucer. Another extraordinarily memorable moment in this game. I've I've mentioned before how some other Final Fantasies lag in the middle, and particularly pointed out that I think Seven does a great job of avoiding that problem, and it's because of stuff like this. So the four characters Cloud can go on a date with are Barrett, which is very unlikely, Yuffie, which is fairly unlikely, and Tifa or Aerith, both of which are fairly likely. And lots of people have very strong opinions about <laughs> who, you know, what, what, which one is canon, which one's correct. Oh, man. Yeah. Just real quick disclaimer, and I doubt anyone's listened to this podcast for especially long and gotten to this point would expect any different, but we do not take sides in any shipping wars especially this one and we love all of these characters we're not going to denigrate any of them in service of any others and so if you're expecting any part of that fight to play out here on this podcast you will be sorely sorely disappointed if you're looking for that because in our estimation you know it's all kind of headcanon and and whatever you want and you know you can only go so far with it obviously the text you know there are certain things but I think our read on the romantic part of this game has always been that it's kind of up to your interpretation and that whatever romantic feelings that Cloud may feel and I think he feels romantic feelings by the way for both Aerith and Tifa and human beings are complicated in that way and that's one of the reasons why I don't like the shipping wars is because It takes a lot of the nuance out of it and one person belongs to one other person or can only feel a certain way and then you get Zack involved and all that stuff. And it's like, man, human beings are complicated. People feel differently. It's purposefully ambiguous in the game. And that theme is secondary to the friendship element of Cloud feeling trust and companionship with both of these people, with all of these people and them feeling it for him and for each other. And that's what Final Fantasy games are about. And so to, in any way, pit these characters against each other, when that's counter to the whole theme of the game, which is that they are stronger together, they sacrifice for each other. Yeah, it's, if if you have a favorite, totally fine, but. (laughs) Yeah, I I absolutely agree with all that. I also think it's important to point out that just because a lot of our uh, pop culture media wants to have two characters end up with each other. 
That doesn't mean that that's always how it happens. I mean, there are people who who have romantic relationships with lots of different people or who, who form small groups of romantic partnerships uh, or, or rom- romantic groups. Uh, there are people who don't feel any romantic feelings at all. Like there are lots of different ways that people can be. So so assuming it has to come down to that one man, one woman together forever trope can discount the experiences of lots of other people. So I like mm-hmm. that, uh, at least in this small way, they're acknowledging that romance can be lots of different things and can be ambiguous. Yeah. So I think what we'll do is we'll explain what the the commonalities of the dates in general, and then we'll go back and we'll explain the differences between each of the four, starting with the uh, two least likely and then getting into the two more likely. So what happens is one of these four people will knock on the door. They'll, they'll ask if uh, Cloud is still awake and then say, come on, let's take a walk. They'll walk about the gold saucer. They will find their way to a play, which most of them will take part in. Uh, and then they'll go on the gondola and you get this really cool cutscene. where Cloud and his date are riding on the gondola and you'll have an opportunity to look out the window every once in a while and, and you get these neat pre-rendered videos. So there's, you see you know, the roller coaster nearby and then you see, like you go right by the chocobo races as the chocobos yeah. are running past. There's this huge fireworks scene and then you're looking yeah. down on the gold saucer somehow, like how did the gondola get way up there? But whatever, it looks cool. Yeah. And there'll be a conversation that is either awkward or sweet or some combination thereof (laughs) and then we'll get to the end of the gondola ride so i really love this little cut scene little sequence of events on the gondola a lot of people have pointed out on twitter that this is one of the things they're most looking forward to with the blockbuster triple a modern graphics imagine all the lights and the fireworks and just what you would be able to do the creativity because this it's still gorgeous to behold today there are elements of this game that don't hold up visually a lot of the character stuff the parts you go that's kind of ugly but this is still beautiful Uh, i also love that it's paralleled in probably my favorite scene in final fantasy 13 they do another kind of riding around looking at the fireworks having a romantic conversation between snow and sarah and uh, it is done with much better graphics and you can kind of see like the the evolution of this idea of sort of being in in an incredibly festive joyous atmosphere where lots of things are happening and lights and plays and chocobo races and a roller coaster and gondola and just stimuli everywhere and then juxtapose that to two people having a very personal very isolated moment and it's it's just a brilliant it works on me when they when they hit this trope hard it works on me really well and i am with everyone i can't wait to see this in the remake also the piece of music that accompanies this scene titled interrupted by fireworks is one of my all-time favorite uematsu in a small relaxing, study music, pretty pieces. It may even just be one of my favorite pieces of of all time of his. It's just so warm and wonderful and kind of perfect. So the first date we'll talk about, let's go with Barrett. Barrett will uh, come to Cloud. He'll say, you know, I'm thinking of going for a walk. (laughs) Cloud will be like, what, just the two of us? Barrett says, what's wrong with that? (laughs) Don't give me no lip. Just come on. And he like he grabs him and drags him out of the room. In fact, each of them has to like physically push Cloud out of the room. Yeah. Because we know how good Cloud is with being intimate Motivation. in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they get to the play, the guy will say, oh, you're the hundredth couple to come in. Oh, wait, never mind. And, and you won't get to see the play. And then Barrett will say, come on, let's go somewhere where we can talk in private. And they get on the gondola and it's the man with the machine gun music as opposed to any sort of romantic music. Right. And they just have this real awkward conversation where it's like, so why do you want to see the fireworks with me? So I was like, what, aren't you having fun? <laughs> and Bear's like, you should have asked one of them. And and just Cloud does not seem interested. Uh, and then Barrett's like, hey, you don't mean you want to see him with Marlene, do you? 
which is a weird place to take this conversation. Like, why are we even going there? Yeah. Because, uh, of course, Marlene is a child. Right. Uh, but then but then Barrett does get a moment where he's like, man, I wish I could have brought Marlene here. She would have loved these fireworks. I got to be with this jackass instead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. So it's it's weird and, and maybe vaguely inappropriate. Like, you know, I think these guys like each other. I don't think they have any romantic interest in each other. I think having a, a legit gay relationship might have been interesting. But these guys just don't think of each other that way. So it mostly just feels kind of awkward. Yeah, you know, there there have been theories over the year and getting back into Cloud's romantic nature or, or sexuality even that he may have at least some leanings that way and and some people point to the fact that you can go on a date with a man but i don't think that's actually the best evidence i i think there's a lot better evidence that he has at least some sort of romantic feelings toward people like sephiroth or maybe even deep in his subconscious zach than you know anything going on here with barrett like you said and and i would hope that i hope they keep this for the remake i still hope that you can go on the date with Barrett, but, and, and it would still be, you know, awkward or whatever, but there's, there's a way to have a conversation between these two that is really a a coming together moment and a recognition of, you know, all they've been through together and maybe an opportunity for Cloud to say, you know, you've been right about a lot of this stuff. And I was, you you know, now that Cloud's at least motivated to, to do things like you were there from the beginning, man, pushing me, talking about caring about the planet. That'd be a nice conversation to have here, though. Unfortunately, this just is kind of played off as a little bit of a joke, and and it was something that was very difficult to get in the original game. So you kind of had to be working at it to purposefully find this scene. And so, yeah, it's it's too bad. It feels like a missed opportunity in the original. Yuffie can show up to Cloud's door again. She wants some company. Just keep me just keep me company for a bit. And again, she has to sort of pull him out of the room. They can go to the play. They're the hundredth couple, so they get to participate in the play. We'll get into what the play is uh, in the next one, I think. The gondola scene is where it's really different. You watch all these scenes, uh, and then Yuffie decides to kiss Cloud on the cheek. She just does it real fast, and then she says, I just felt like doing that. And it's worth noting that she is the only one to kiss Cloud in this scene. Yeah. And then Cloud gets all awkward and doesn't say anything in his usual Cloud (laughs) way. And she's like, hey... Say something. Why don't you say something? Oh my God, I could just die. Say something, please. And then Cloud says, something. And I'm pretty (laughs) sure Yuffie slaps the shit out of him. (laughs) As well she should. I mean, in Cloud's defense, she's like 16. Right. You know, so... And he doesn't know her very well. Like they haven't... He doesn't know her as well as he knows Aerith and, and Tifa at this point. Right. But she does say, once the gondola ride is over, thanks for coming with me. Yeah. Yeah, this one's nice. It's sweet. And honestly, probably how something like that could go. Uh, You know, again, because they don't know each other real well. And you could see a teenage girl getting caught up in the excitement. Cloud's a cutie. And, you know, you you just kind of, oh, really like it. And and that that she kisses him on the cheek, too, is like, it, it keeps it from being... I think weird or gross or even potentially problematic where you're just like, it's a nice little moment. She shows appreciation for him in his own kind of way. He, he shows some of it back. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, he, he, yeah. You know. I mean, is he teasing there or is he being a dick or maybe yes. he doesn't know the difference, right? <laughs> like, right. I, I, I think it's a bit of both and, and him trying not to lead her on or, or, you know, get involved because he's not interested, uh, he might say. <laughs> not interested. <laughs> not interested. But something is as close to an actual joke as Cloud has made on purpose at this point. He said plenty of things that were funny, but not necessarily <laughs> on purpose. So, I mean, you got to give him a little credit for that. All right. So now I'm going to leave it up to you, Drew. Who should we do next? Oh, Aerith sure. or Tifa? And I just <laughs> want you to know... <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that you, whatever whichever decision yeah. you make will say a lot about you and your head cannon. I I suppose so. You, you know what's funny is I'm I actually uh, I want I just want to go with Aerith first, and the reason for this actually is 
I, and again, I don't take sides in any of this, but for this particular scene, for this one individual scene, I adore the way the Tifa one ends. So I, I'd like to end with that. And I, I really like this Aerith one too. I mean, I but yeah. Okay. So Aerith comes and knocks on Cloud's door. He says, hey, Cloud, you want to go on a date? And Cloud, <laughs> so of course. Forward. Yeah, because she, she's not the Love demure, her. you know, sort of prudish character a lot of people want to make her out to be. She is going to go after what she wants. Right. So Cloud, of course, doesn't respond. She says, you know, a date? Or haven't you ever gone on a date? Come on, let's go. And she shoves him out the room. That's fantastic. Uh, she's amazing. They go first to the, uh, to the theater, right? And, and there's, a, there's a show going on. And the guy says, hey, you're the 100th couple. Tonight's enchantment night. All the attractions are free. Congratulations, you get to play the leads in tonight's show, which seems like a nightmare to me. I'm not going to the theater so that I can randomly be the lead in the show. Right. But apparently this is some kind of a forced participation improv theater, uh, and they explain that you just do it however you want and everyone will cover for you. You get up on stage and the story is long, long ago. An evil shadow appeared over the peaceful kingdom of Galidia. Princess Rosa was kidnapped by the evil dragon king, Balvados. What will become of her? Princess Rosa from Final Fantasy IV? Oh, uh, yeah, huh? Maybe. <laughs> but there was no evil dragon king, Valvados, in four. The king of Baron becomes Cognatio, the water fiend. Close or, or was all along. Anyway, just then, the legendary hero, Alfred, appears. All the actors pirouette onto and off of the stage, which is weird. Right. Which I guess is just supposed to be giving us the impression that this is a ballet. Yeah, or maybe a musical of some kind, or maybe they're just yeah. really, uh, maybe they're all drama kids, I assume. This is so bizarre, but I have to say, remarkably charming. The king comes on and he says, here is a knight and here is a wizard. Talk to the one who can help you. And you find out that the dragon's weakness is true love. So uh, then the dragon comes on stage with either Tifa or Aerith, since in this case we're doing Aerith's story, it's Aerith. Okay, so the dragon's weakness is true love. So you have options now. Kiss the princess, kiss the king, kiss the evil dragon. <laughs> so there's that. So you you know, you get to choose and if you you know, if you kiss your date's hand, then the dragon like gets drug off stage. I think they get dragged up into the rafters, but their feet are still showing at the top yeah. of the screen, which is yeah. hysterical. Yeah. Uh, you can kiss the dragon and it turns into a, a woman, I think. I don't remember what happens when you if you kiss the king. But either way, like, Cloud kisses their hand, which is... So of the two, I would say Cloud is more demure than Aerith. Totally. <laughs> Very prudish, but it, it also, again, pretty sweet. Also, just a quick mention, this is another uh, play within a play, play within a story. Final Fantasy loves doing this after six. We had the opera. We've got this one here. Nine begins and ends with a play, stage play. Right. Uh, so, yeah, ten has its own version of that. Um, ten two in particular is a concert within a play within a story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. So the the whole play is just to reinforce the power of love, right? I do like that they poke a little fun at themselves too with this kind of over the top parody of fantasy stories and kissing the princess and there being a dragon king. And then his weakness is true love. They're like poking fun at their own because that's the story. That's every Final Fantasy is the answer is true love and love your friends and your family. And that will overcome evil in the end. And they're like, we, we know, we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also it's true. Yeah. They have fun at the play, or at least Aerith has fun at the play. And then they go on to the gondola. <laughs> Aerith has fun at the play. <laughs> I assume. Fair. Yeah, I'm not sure how much fun Cloud had, but fair enough. I mean, deep down, do you feel like he is enjoying these things and just feels like he has to keep the stoic demeanor well, I, up front? Or has he even gotten to that point yet? Because we know that internally he's just so messed up that is he right. really not even able to 
enjoy these things. I think he's having a hard time experiencing his emotions for much the same reason that Tara did in Six, right? Tara had that slave crown on her head for how many years? Right. She's been pushed through all this trauma. Cloud had some ex similar experiences in Crisis Core? That's right. I, you're going to have to teach me about the expanded seven universe. But yeah, he also has been through all these experiences, right? So yeah, it can be difficult to feel your feelings and to sort through what you're feeling. But even in the remake, like for all that, he's not really that into being on stage and getting his makeover. Like he knows that dance. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he knows he's killing it in that dress. He may not be able to express it very well, but he knows. Right. So on the one hand, it's funny that he's underselling it by, you know, saying, I know, nailed it, moving on. But in another way, it's like he really is incapable of actually enjoying it where like there's a part of him that wants to but he's not letting himself so on the gondola cloud and Aerith. Uh, after you uh see the the cool cutscenes and whatnot Aerith says first off it bothered me how you looked exactly alike two completely different people but look exactly the same the way you walk gesture I think I must have seen him again in you. But you're different. Things are different. Cloud, I'm searching for you. I want to meet you. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So Cloud says, I'm right here. And Eris says, I know. What I mean is I want to meet you. And it fades to black. And the, uh, the gondola ends and, and our heroes get off. And Aerith says, I had fun tonight. Let's go together again. Next time we come, let's take our time and go on more rides. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's a this lot is, to This is the one you here. don't prefer, right? I didn't say that I didn't prefer it. <laughs> I just... There's there's so much here. I I, I love this. There's, so obviously, you know, this gets us deeper into the conversation about Zach without her saying his name, who Cloud really is, them still not fully having that conversation, mirroring the way that maybe on a date you might not fully have a, a conversation. It might be awkward and, and, and all of those kinds of things, but this is about who Cloud really is as a person and saying, I... I want to meet you when they've known each other for a little while is a much subtler hint about Cloud's past and, and history. We've, we've talked about some of the ways in which this game was non-subtle. You know, the, the emails you find, there's a vampire hidden in the basement. Better check down there. You know, like, <laughs> right. Not at all subtle. This is where the subtlety matters so much more in a conversation like this where she just is kind of musing aloud like, and you might feel that way about people in your life who maybe haven't been through the level of trauma and aren't as fractured as Cloud is, but somebody you feel like, and I kind of, I know a version of you. I know you when you're out and about and on the town or, or you when you're at work, but I really want to get to know the real you. And, and she's saying that, and it echoes in the ear of the audience, whether you recognize it or not, that we don't know the real Cloud. And if you extrapolate a little further neither does he and then of course you've got it you know and, and spoilers for stuff coming up here but the end of it should i i don't, I don't know how to say it without fully <laughs> spoiling what, what's coming next episode I, but well Aerith and this game continue to look toward the future right right Aerith has a line earlier on where she's like man i really it'd be fantastic if i could Right on an airship, right? I really want to do that someday. Right. Yuna in Final Fantasy X yeah. keeps talking about wanting to go to see Xanarkand. Right, right. So th there is hope for the future, even knowing that Sephiroth is trying to destroy the planet, right? Right. So hope for the future, even not knowing what's going to come, is, is another theme of Final Fantasy. And even knowing as we do what is to come, the yeah. dramatic irony, I guess, like the audience knows a thing that our characters don't know. Yeah. And it, it just plays really well here because I, you know, she, again, she's excited to do things 
and yeah, I think it's. I just think it's really nice. Yeah, and upon second playthrough, is heartbreaking, and we'll we'll get back to that more later. So the the fourth character Cloud can go on a date with is Tifa. Cloud's in his room alone. Tifa knocks on the door. He lets her in. She says, "Cloud, come on, let's sneak out of here." And she shows him out of the room because, you know, dude dude would rather stay in his hotel room and, and think quietly. I don't know anybody like that. You go to the uh, to the theater. The guy puts Tifa and Cloud on stage. They they do the thing. Tifa enjoys it. That was fun. Let's go on the gondola next, she says. So they go on the gondola. You see the cool cutscenes, and then the conversation. And Tifa says, "Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Aerith would be able to just come out and say it." Mm. So one. She didn't. And two, Yuffie's the one who kissed him. Yep. And th- that's basically the conversation. And then it fades to black. And then we go to the outside shot where they're coming off the gondola. And Tifa says, Cloud, sometimes being old friends is hard. I mean, timing is everything. I... And then she doesn't say anything for a while. And then she says, Cloud, I really had fun tonight. Cloud says, what did you want to say? Tifa says, nah, nothing. <sighs> and my heart breaks into a thousand pieces. I know. Oh. I watched a, a streamer named Nixie Puff play through this game. I watched her highlight. She's fantastic. Also a big fan of Unaleska, Sarah Key. Those are some of my favorite streamers. And when this scene ended, she just put her controller down and yelled, Tell him how you feel. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're all messed up in this big war, kind of two wars now. There was the Shinra thing. Now there's the war for the planet against Sephiroth. And there's all this stuff about your, your memories being shaken up or his memories being shaken up. The two of you don't quite have the same recollection of very big and important events but there is this true connection at the heart of it and you're you're searching for it the same way Aerith was searching for the real cloud Tifa is searching for how real her own feelings are and it comes out in these truncated sentences you know a lot of these old games don't have great writing they have script writing that is serviceable that that tells a really great story that that gets the point across but This, I think, is subtly very cleverly written because she just can't finish a thought. And yet everything that she's thinking and feeling comes across to anyone who's been paying attention. Like, that's why I mentioned the streamer Nixie Puff is because she got it like right there in her first playthrough 20 years after this game was made. Felt that hurt of Tifa not being able to just come right out and say, you know, I've got certain feelings for you and I think we need to have some conversations about who we are and, and who we could be or, or maybe any of that stuff. But it's like she do, she also doesn't want to overcomplicate everything else that's going on. It's maybe a little bit more than her girl crush right now. That's not, But it's more than that and, and they're old friends and it's just all tied up in just a handful of little bits of dialogue. Like when you read them there, they don't, they don't sound, you know, all that inspirational or, or complicated, but there's just so much subtext going on here. And, and it's why I wanted to finish with that one, because I, I think it's one of the best jobs they've done to this point in the franchise of getting across deep, complex emotions that a character is feeling through just a, a couple little bits of broken dialogue. Very good writing, very good scene. Tifa and Aerith are both exceptionally deep, interesting, intricately written and conceived characters. And yeah, this is one of the reasons why this game is so beloved. So now you have to play the K at Sith music. (laughs) 
Cloud and his date are, are headed back to the haunted house hotel and they happen to see Sith just wandering about the gold saucer. It's suspicious and he's conspicuous. So they follow him and they realize, holy cow, Sith has the keystone. And then they chase him through the various regions of the gold saucer and they play the Final Fantasy VII chase music. But it could just as easily be... <laughs> it's this weird, goofy, Scooby-Doo kind of thing. And eventually they get to an area where a helicopter descends upon the, the whatever map you're in. And hey, Song is there. And Kit Sith tosses the keystone to him. And, and Song takes off in his helicopter, as he is wont to do, with an important item the character party wants. So our, our guys confront Kit Sith, and he says, Yes, yes, I was a spy. I was hired on by Shinra. But how about we just go on like nothing ever happened? Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> a little unity here. <clears throat> Cloud says, You got a lot of guts acting like a friend after being a spy. And I, I got to think Cloud, who hasn't had a lot of friends, has got to be really hurt, right? Like, this guy came onto her party. He's been an ally. It was kind of weird yeah. and maybe a little suspicious. But now you're going to betray me and tell me like it doesn't matter? And Kate says, what are you going to do, kill me? You'd be wasting your time. This body's just a toy. My real body is back at Shinra headquarters in Midgar. I'm controlling this toy cat from there. So Kate Sith is a robot or a drone? Uh, is this like a PS5 controller? Is it like, you know, full dive head headset? What the? Drew, what the hell is going on? There, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think... The best way to leave it at this point is it's a toy that can be replicated that's being controlled by someone at Shinra headquarters. How exactly it works and to what extent, <laughs> like, there's a, I don't know. It, is it ever revealed? Like, I know who's controlling him, right? But is it ever revealed right. how or exactly you know, to how what it capacity? Exactly I'd have to go back and look, even having played things like Dirge of Cerberus where they get into it a little bit more. Uh, I don't recall it being specifically laid out how the mechanics of it work. So if somebody knows, let us hit us up and we'll, we'll read through it. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Kate Sith explains that he's really an employee of Shinra. Can't tell you who we are. We're just going to keep going as though nothing happened. And Cloud is like, I don't think so. <laughs> and Sith says, all right, I thought you might say that. So here, I prepared something. And then he puts Marlene on the phone. Ay, ay, ay. mother, I swear to God. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so so Marlene's on the phone. And so if Barrett is your partner here, Barrett loses his mind. Right. And Kiss is like, so if you don't, uh, you, you know, you have to do what I say. I didn't want to take hostages, but this is how it is. No compromises. So we're just going to go on like everything's fine. We're going to the Temple of the Ancients. I know where it is. This is how it is. And if Yuffie is your partner for this she because she hates shinra like you mother son of a bitch i'm gonna kick your she doesn't even know who marlene is right right but she does she hates shinra so now she hates kate sith and that makes sense and i like i i like all of this but then the consequences of this feel lost okay what are the consequences of kate sith being a traitor like he's still part of the party do we do we just trust him now? He can just be like obviously we don't trust him. We're doing it because he's got Marlene hostage, right? But well, you know what? It just what? yeah, it just creates a ton of tension for the party at this point moving forward. And it's actually kind of an interesting because you know it's pretty rare to have somebody as a member of your main party in a Final Fantasy game that you out and out don't trust. I would imagine during this section of the game, a lot of people probably just don't use him, right? Because uh -huh. you're like f that dude, right? Like yeah. what? Like now, why is he still here? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, And we want to protect Marlene, and I get that. But I, I just feel like there should be a little bit more of, all right, I want everybody to know what's going on. We don't trust this guy, but he's got to come with us for now because we all love Marlene. Right. Like I, would, I just feel like we were, we're missing sure. some of the impact from this. And we're going to have a scene here in a bit, which is, well, we'll get to that here in a second. Fair enough. Next, we go to the Temple of the Ancients, and Aerith insists on going. You have to have her in the party. So we go to the Temple of the Ancients, it's got this cool, mysterious music, it's kind of ominous, and you get there and Aerith stops and she says, I feel it, the knowledge of the ancients. You know, they, they had built this giant stone temple. I think it's kind of uh, interesting 
that people known for being nomads were specifically not settling anywhere built a giant stone temple. Right. Well, you know, they, they also enjoy art. Sure, sure. And, you know, you leave your mark here and there on the planet. Maybe it's important for some reason. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Right. So she feels the knowledge of the ancients. There's, there's some kind of presence here. Uh, and she says, you could become one with the planet, but you're stopping it with the strength of will. For the future, for us, in clouds like Aerith, who are you talking to? And What's she runs up into the building. And, and she keeps talking to this presence. It's, you know, I don't understand. I need to understand what's going on. So we, we go up into the temple. There's one of those uh, black cloaked figures here, number nine, saying something about the black materia and then sort of wanders off or floats off or something. Uh, and then you get inside that first main room and Song is here. Now, I, I want to point out real quick that uh, a couple weeks ago we got to be in and on a Zoom meeting with some of the voice actors for Final yeah. Fantasy VII Remake. And Mr. Vic Chow, uh, who voices the leader of the Turks, was very clear about in the game it's pronounced song, song. as opposed to sing. Right. Which is just fun to note because we got to be in on that conversation. He seemed like yeah. a really cool guy. Yeah. So Song is here. He has collapsed against the altar. Uh, he's holding his side. He's been injured. And he says, I've been tricked. It's not the promised land Sephiroth is searching for. Klaus like, uh, Sephiroth, he's here. He's inside. Song says, go and look for yourself. Letting Aerith go is the start of my bad luck. The president was wrong. And Aerith says, the promised land isn't anything like that. It's nothing like what you imagined. And I'm not going to help you. And she turns her back and crosses her arms. And I'm sure that when she is very angry and serious, uh, she's also kind of adorable. Which is a mean thing to say to people who are trying to be serious, like you're downplaying their seriousness. Right. But I, I imagine she's kind of adorable. Yeah. You put the uh, keystone on the altar so that you can get into the temple. And we're all going to go in now. And Clad says to Aerith, are you crying? And Aerith explains, look, Song is our enemy. He's with the Turks. But I've known him since we were little. There's not a lot of people I can say that about. In fact, there are probably only a handful of people in the world who really know me. Which, given what she just said on the gondola to Cloud, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Piercing a little bit, right? I don't know you. I know him. Right. Yeah. You put the keystone in, you get that, that heartbeat sound, and then our characters... Uh, sorry, I, I think I may have said there was a door earlier, but there's not. You just phase through the floor into yeah. the temple, and that's got to be a, a trip. And then you're in sure. this room that's like an Escher painting with stairways and arches and, and weird depth right. perceptions. And yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some weirdness going on here. You wander around the Temple of the Ancients for a bit, Eventually, we get to uh, this pool of glowing light. And Aerith explains that it is full of the knowledge of the ancients. Or no, not knowledge, but consciousness. It's a living soul. It's trying to say something. I'm sorry, I don't understand. And she lays down and like tries to listen to it. And she says, danger, an evil consciousness. You're going to show me? And then we get this weird scene where our heroes are like in the foreground, but translucent. And they're watching this uh, thing happen as though it were a, a kind of a movie. And you see Song in this lighted hallway with these, these carvings or maybe uh, paintings on the wall. And it is very uh, reminiscent of Egyptian wall paintings and hieroglyphics and whatnot. You see a big star in the background of one of them. And my first thought was, Levos? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, we're about to learn about this calamity from the sky. And in this case, it is not Levos, because that's Chrono Trigger, but rather Genova. Yeah. And Elena is here. She's like, saying, what is this? Can we find the promised land with this? Sang says, we have to report this to the president. And then he looks at Elena and he says, hey, Elena, how about dinner after this job's over? <laughs> what? <laughs> so on the one hand, that's yeah, that's wildly inappropriate. <laughs> First, okay, I can understand, like, if you've had a crush on a person for a long time and you think, oh, shit, everything's about to go sideways, Maybe you want to, uh, you know, take your shot with that person you've had a crush on. But one, he's got a crush on Aerith. So there's right. that. You can have it, like we said earlier, right? You can have a crush on more than one person. And that can even be appropriate and fine as long as everybody's, you know, you're having good conversations and everyone's in on it. But that does not appear to be what's happening here. Also, he is her boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. That's, I think, the, the part of it that's like mm, kind of a power dynamic right. there. Right. That's a little... But also, yeah. if we're about to, like, you know, if, if things are about to go really bad or maybe really well, like maybe we're about to ascend to the promised land and this is your last chance for a date night. 
I don't know, but I, either way, it feels <laughs> fair enough. A little bit, uh, yeah, yeah, a little weird. Yeah. So Elena leaves. Song is here, trying to piece together what's going on here uh, on these wall paintings, and Sephiroth floats in behind us, maybe. Yeah. And then, uh, and then appears with Song, and and he says, "This place is a lost treasure house of knowledge." The wisdom of the ancients. I am becoming one with the planet. And then he sort of splits in two, or maybe like his spirit splits up. Like it's not clear. Deliberately ambiguous, I think. Yeah. He says, you stupid fools, you never thought about it. All the spirit energy of this planet, the wisdom, the knowledge, I will become one with that. And the song's like, no shit, you can do that, huh? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Sephiroth says, the way lies here. And then, like, the one version of Sephiroth turns to where our characters are watching the scene and laughs at us. And then another version attacks Song. He says, only death awaits you. But do not fear, for it is through death that a new spirit energy is born. Soon you will live again as part of me. Which is a weird, mean, creepy way to take the uh, we're all part of the same life force idea. Yeah, right. He's really twisted the idea of sort of Tibetan all is one, one is all Buddhism and and turned it into this <laughs> really horrifying concept of one is all and all is me, therefore me is all. Yes, yeah. <laughs> therefore everyone I take out like, just you know, it becomes Highlander, right? The more people I take out, the more power ugh. I take on. Oof. Right. It's not, you're not really dying. You're becoming a part of me and I am this great thing. You should feel honored to like, dude, you've <laughs> gone off the deep end, sir. Yeah. Our heroes sort of pull out of the memory of this thing that's already happened and they, they make their way to that room. I got to say, this feels really end gamey because like cloud is, we're going to take him out this, we're going to finally get him. Uh, we're going to trap him in this room and, and take down Sephiroth. And there's this save point right before you go into that room. And it feels very endgamey, but it's not. Yeah. Right. And you get into the room and uh, Sephiroth is there, but he's kind of blurry and ghost-like. And he says, I am always by your side. Come with me. And then he flies off. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh man. So then you get the, you know, the sort of voiceover thing that they do where the, the screen flashes for a moment. Sephiroth says, splendid, a treasure house of knowledge, right? He says, and I don't know what's going on. And, and you finally get to the last mural. And it's of a giant meteor striking the planet. Unnerving. Sephiroth says, I am becoming one with the planet. Mother, it's almost time. Soon we will become one. And Aerith says, how do you intend to become one with the planet? It's simple, Sephiroth says. Once the planet is hurt, it gathers spirit energy to heal the injury. The amount of energy gathered depends on the size of the injury. What would happen if there was an injury that threatened the very life of the planet? And at the center of that injury will be me. All that boundless energy will be mine. By merging with the energy of the planet, I will become a new life form, a new existence, only to be reborn as a god to rule over every soul. Behold that mural. The ultimate destructive magic. Meteor. Cloud says that is not going to happen. <laughs> but then, totally incongruously, he walks up to the mural, looks at it, and starts laughing. He says, call Meteor, Black Materia. He starts having one of those dissociative episodes where he's like sort of moving in three or four different ways at once. Mm -hmm. Cloud says, I remember. I remember the way. And there was like, what are you talking about, Cloud? What's going on, man? And then it stops. And Cloud says, wait, what happened? What's wrong? What happened? And Aerith says, it's nothing, but Sephiroth got away. Cloud says, don't worry about that. I know what he's planning. I know what he was saying. Meteor's going to collide with the planet and injure the planet, so we have to stop that. Okay, so now, now, I mean, we already knew we had to keep Sephiroth from doing what he wanted to do, so I guess that's useful. I don't know. It, it feels a bit like I like all of this because it's it's getting more into his plan based upon the metaphysics that we had explained to us by Bugenhagen at all. But it does feel a bit a little bit like we kind of already knew we had to stop him. So some of the some of the dialogue here feels a little clunky, I guess. 
Um, I, I think it's really great explanation for Sephiroth's motivations for what it is he's actually after, uh, what it is he's trying to accomplish, which also carries over into a lot of the compilation stuff. But yeah, I mean, and, and then the other part of it is beginning to show you the beginnings of, I guess, that, that Sephiroth might have a certain amount of control over Cloud or that okay. he's at least mm-hmm. not in control of himself with the, as, as you put it, incongruously laughing and saying things and like having this episode where it had seemed before like maybe that was just isolated to Cloud. I think we have a much clearer picture now that that's connected to Sephiroth. So, here's what happens next. There is a little hologram at the end of this hallway, and when you touch it, the whole building shakes. And eventually our characters figure out that basically the temple, this big ziggurat, is the black materia. So this little model is a device that gets smaller each time you solve this little puzzle. And as the model becomes smaller, you become smaller also, until it's small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. So solving the puzzles makes the black materia smaller so you can take it out. But, Aerith explains, you can only answer the, answer the puzzles while you're inside the temple, so anyone who does so will eventually be crushed. So that's messed up. Right. And Tifa, galaxy brain moment, let's just leave it here. Which I think is a, like, that, yes, obviously, just leave it here. But Cloud points out, Sephiroth has lots of flunkies, and it would be nothing to him to have someone kill themselves so that he could get the black materia. So no, we've got to figure this out. Right. Then you get a call from Kate Sith, because you know we have the, the cell phone thing. He's like, look, right. I can do this. This body right here is just a drone, right? It's just a robot, it's just a, a stuffed toy. And we cannot let either Sephiroth or Shinra get their hands on this stuff, so please trust me. And quite frankly, we don't have a choice. I do not right. want to trust this guy. So when I was saying, you know, like there are no consequences to the, uh, he's basically kidnapped Marlene. He's got Marlene hostage. This is kind of what I'm like, do we trust him? No, but he's like, he's the only one who can do it. So are we meant to feel bad for him about, with what's coming up? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that we're meant to feel bad for him at all. I think we're meant to feel uneasy about whether or not this is going to work because we don't trust this guy. We've you know already determined that we're not going to be at best we're going to feel neutral about him making and it's not even really a sacrifice as we said because he's got it's a toy body so no i think it's just supposed to be sort of a complex you know emotion that we're feeling here where it's like i guess we have to put our hands and and our story and and you know the the rest of what's going to happen here into the hands of this guy who's going to hopefully come through but we don't really have a reason necessarily to believe that he would or to believe that he's on our side and so i yeah i think that's kind of interesting so so it's about to get even more complicated <laughs> so we we meet kate sith at the front of the temple and there's sort of this awkward moment right and then he's his case is like all right so i'm gonna go do this and eris sort of nudges cloud and says say something to him Cloud's like i'm not good at this stuff and Kate says, says, I understand. I feel the same. And Aerith has this really sweet moment. She says, hey, Kate Sith, why don't you read our fortunes? And Kate says, like, like, yeah, you know what? I haven't done this in a while. It's something I'm good at. And then Aerith says, how compatible are Cloud and I? And Kate says, like, oh, uh, shit, I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, never mind. I'm going to go do the death thing. <laughs> He does eventually say, you know what? You guys are perfect for each other. Thank you for believing in me, even knowing that I was a spy. This is the final farewell. And Aerith says, be strong, Kate Sith. So I definitely remember feel, you know, having some feels for this. On the one hand, the son of a bitch has Marlene captive. And he's been a spy the whole time. On the other hand, I mean, he's kind of sacrificing himself for us. And yeah. and he's walking down this hallway, and he and he's he's by himself, right? So we're getting a a monologue just for the players. She told me to be strong. I feel so happy. I can protect the planet too. I'm kind of embarrassed. There's plenty of stuffed toys like my body around. 
but there's only one of me. Don't forget me, even if another Kayat Sith comes along. Goodbye then. Guess I'm off to save the planet. Yeah. So, so is is he is is Kate Sith a person uh, in addition to the person controlling the drone? Does does the robot some have some autonomy? Is this is this weird? Like I I if this were if I were reading this book if I had written this scene, I would rewrite it because like there's one it's one thing to be deliberately ambiguous. It's another thing to be confusing for the sake of being confusing. And I feel like this is bad narrative practice because you you don't get an answer to any of these questions so why why bring it up if we're only going to bring it up for a while and then have it have no consequence like i don't get it like it doesn't come up again weird that's so completely not my take on this at all i just don't think that the mechanics of it matter at all for me it's a hint that the person who is controlling Ketchi or Ketchi, Ketsith, however we want to pronounce it, back at Shinra headquarters may also have the proverbial gun to their head. And actually, while they were working as a spy and did this thing that leads us to not be able to trust them, and they might be working with the Turks and who knows what this person's motivations are, now we've seen them do one really terrible thing and we've seen them do one very heroic thing. And even if, you know, to what extent is the sacrifice? I think that's the part of it that's ambiguous. And that's why you want to know, you know, does the cat or the, or the Mog toy have some kind of autonomy or, and, and I don't know. And I think that, you know, it probably would bring some clarity and I, I hope they do that in the remake. But for me, that's completely secondary to this idea of now we have deeper questions. Okay. We know that this person isn't 100% on our side. We know they work for Shinra, but we also now know that they do have the end goal of saving the planet in their heart, in their mind. That is what they want and that is what we want. So I just think it creates this really interesting dynamic and and begs the question, okay, so who is the person inside of Shinra who has to walk this fine line between doing their duties as a spy but also, really, now we get this, and that's what this scene does for us is, but they are, for the big question, still on our side. Yeah, and I do like all of that. I like the, like you said, walking that fine line between being a hero and being a spy. The, the thing I don't like is the implication that possibly the robot has some autonomy and then we never come back to it. That's the part it's that It's interesting. I me. just never... I had never gotten that implication until further iterations, okay. like in Advent Children and stuff, when he's got like a, a an Irish accent, and it's like, wait, is the cat its own thing? Right. You know, I I definitely got there, but playing the original game, I only ever thought like it's a toy. Now there is this line about like there's only one me, right. which sort of springs to mind like artificial intelligences, sure. and I've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately, so there's kind of this. You know, is it more like putting down a machine? Mm-hmm. Can it operate? Because you would think it has to be able to operate autonomously because the person who we know is on the other end of the phone, right, can't be there 100% of the time. So is it a magic that keeps it going? And does it kind of therefore give it its own personality? And and I think kind of so you see, so you see a little difference here in, in just a little bit. But, you know, yeah, for me, I guess I just I, I never got tripped up on those questions because I never really you know, thought beyond, yeah, it's a, it's a machine and a toy right. and I didn't need it to have any more autonomy. Oh, I guess. And, and if the machine, if, if the toy does have autonomy, that makes this scene much sadder. Yeah, I think so. So some clarity on that. I totally agree that like clarity on that would make it a much more powerful scene. But I do think that from the perspective of them trying to get the point across of, We've got this morally ambiguous character inside of Shinra trying to help our team out, but having to walk a fine line while doing it. I think they, they get that across, and I think that's an interesting sure. dynamic. Okay, so. good. So, okay, Sith is successful. The temple shrinks. The Temple of the Ancients now becomes the giant pit of the Ancients, right. <laughs> at the bottom of which is a piece of black materia. So Cloud and Aerith climb down into the pit. Cloud says, as long as we have this, Sephiroth won't be able to summon Meteor. And then he looks at Aerith and says, can you guys use it? And I assume he means Ketra or, or Ancients. Right. You people. <laughs> yeah. 
Eric says, no, uh, you need great spiritual power to use it. One person's power alone won't do it. You could do it somewhere special where there's lots of the planet's energy. Cloud says, the promised land. But Sephiroth's not an ancient. He shouldn't be able to find the promised land. Cue Sephiroth's music. He says, ah, but I have. And he levitates above the pit in that weird, creepy way he does. He says, I, I am far superior to the ancients. I became a traveler of the life stream and gained the knowledge and wisdom of the ancients. So I will create the future. And it's like, I am not going to let you do that. The future is not just yours. Yeah. Hmm. Good line. Sephiroth says to Cloud, Wake up. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so, so we get this weird thing so messed up. where Cloud, holding the black materia, begins to walk slowly towards Sephiroth, who levitates down into the pit. And in Cloud's place is the child version of Cloud. And you are controlling that version, not the, the version holding the black materia. So Cloud, and the physical reality of Cloud, slowly walks towards Sephiroth, uh, holding the black materia out to him, uh, while the, the sort of spirit child version of Cloud is doing whatever you're doing. So you know I'm typically like running around the pit trying to make it not happen. Um, right. And, and he just hands it over. And Sephiroth takes it, and he leaves. And Cloud loses it. You know, it's the what have I done moment. Also during all of this, Kaya Sith 2 shows up. <laughs> so yep. we're looking down into this pit, and whoever else you've got in your party is like running around trying to stop Sephiroth, but can't get to him and can't get down in the pit in time. And then Kaya Sith shows up and like, hey, I'm Kaya Sith 2. Oh, is now a bad time? And then, <laughs> bad time? And then leaves. <laughs> so, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. The screen goes white. And we get Cloud's voiceover in, in text, and, and he says, What did I do? I don't remember anything in my memory. Since when? If everything's a dream, don't wake me up. And I'm reminded again of, of Chrono Trigger, when Doreen says, Perhaps I am a bowling ball, dreaming of a plate of sashimi. Yeah. Also, Final Fantasy X... Obvious parallels you can draw to that. <laughs> no kidding. Cloud continues to dream. We get the scene of a forest. It's a very green forest. You know, the, the light coming through the leaves is very green, and the far end of the screen is this bright white light. And there it says, Cloud, Cloud. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? He says, Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Sorry for what happened. And it says, Don't worry about it. And she walks behind one tree and comes out from behind another. Mm. Cloud says, you know, I can't help it, uh, but worry about it. And she says, then why don't you worry about it and let me handle Sephiroth? Cloud, take care of yourself. Don't have a breakdown, okay? Uh, and she disappears again, and then they both drift down from the trees above. Cloud says, what is this place? Aerith explains, this is the Sleeping Forest. It leads to the City of the Ancients. It's only a matter of time before Sephiroth uses Meteor. That's why I'm going to protect it. Only a Ketra can do it. The secret is just up there. At least, I think it should be. I feel like I'm being led by something. Remember, we've had lots of conversations about Final Fantasy and fate, right? What does it mean to be fated or destined to do something? You know, who gets to decide? Yeah. When do you fight against it? And she says, Cloud, I will come back when it's all over. And then she, she sprints off to the far end of the screen, you know, into the distance, into that bright white light. Cloud tries to run after her, but he can only run in slow motion. And then we get Sephiroth's voiceover. So, she's going to interfere. She'll be a difficult one, don't you think? And, and he drifts down from the trees right in front of Cloud. We must stop that girl. Soon. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by finding us on Twitter or Facebook at FFWeeklyPod. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com FFWeekly. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
Join us next time when we say goodbye to one of the most beloved characters in the history of Final Fantasy and celebrate one of the most important moments in the history of video games.